My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Well, good morning, and welcome to Our Sunday School. I'm glad you're able to join us this morning. Uh, thanks for being here, those of you guys that are live with us, and for those of you listening later, welcome. And uh, we do this, Lord willing, each Sunday morning at 9.07, and uh, you can find out those details at OurSundaySchool.com. Uh, so welcome to uh, lots of folks this morning. So Jay Arnold, the Millers, the Janikas, the Johnsons, the Clicks, the Barbers, the Greggs, the Velosans, and another set of Arnolds. So fantastic. Welcome, guys. Glad to have you here. And uh, we're in Mark chapter 10 today. And uh, Lord willing, we'll be in Mark chapter 10 next week as well. And uh, looking this week to start verse 35. Uh, so we'll read through Mark chapter 10 here in just a second and ask our question that we ask each week. So what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? And uh, so be thinking about that while I'm reading through Mark chapter 10. And just as a reminder, we do this every uh, couple of months, but I just wanna go back and kind of bring us up to speed on where we are in Mark's gospel. Uh, so Mark has uh, introduced us to Jesus back in chapter one, uh, we see uh, John, uh, Isaiah actually uh, predicting the messenger that would come before. This is John the Baptist. John the Baptist shows up. He uh, introduces Jesus. Uh, Jesus is baptized. He is tempted. He starts his ministry. He calls some disciples. And then he begins this torrent of healing and uh, preaching and teaching. Uh, and just over and over and over again, he calls more disciples. Uh, he calls all the 12 in chapter 3. We'll touch on that just a little bit today. Uh, and then he addresses all sorts of different things he talks about in parables in chapter four. He heals more in chapters uh, five. He is, he is rejected. We begin to see this foreshadowed in uh, Mark's gospel. Uh, he sends out the disciples in chapter six. Uh, John the Baptist dies in chapter six. Uh, and then Jesus again feeds 5,000, walks on water, heals the sick. Uh, he engages uh, sporadically uh, with the Pharisees and the scribes, those who come and challenge his authority and who he is. Uh, he heals more, he heals more, he heals more. You might be getting a, a sense of the pattern here. Uh, he, he starts to prophesy about uh, what he is going to experience later on. He does this multiple times for the disciples. Uh, chapter nine, he is transfigured, uh, blows everybody's mind here, right? It's amazing. Uh, heals a boy with an unclean spirit in chapter 9. Again, in chapter 9, tells about his death, his uh, in resurrection, uh, answers more questions from the apostles. Uh, and then we get to chapter 10, where he talks about divorce. He talks about who has access to him and who should restrict that access, um, everybody and nobody, respectively. Uh, the rich young man. Uh, then we come to Jesus foretells his death a third time. James and John with their just uh, not a good question that they ask. But we'll, we'll talk about that today and Lord willing next week. Uh, and then finishing up chapter 10 with Blind Bartimaeus. So that's kind of a, a whirlwind up to speed where we are so far. Uh, and good morning to the heirs as well who have uh, arrived in 206. And thanks to uh, Jessica again for making that option available to the folks that are there. So let's read through Mark chapter 10. And uh, we'll jump right into verse 35 in a minute. So Mark chapter 10, 
And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter, and he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? And Jesus, looking at them, and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. And Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them and they were amazed and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was about to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And James and John, the son of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. 
And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Amen. So good morning. There's a couple more folks, Miss Nancy Miller and the McCarveys. Hey guys, welcome this morning. Glad to have you this morning. Uh, if you haven't already made your way over to OurSundaySchool.com, I would encourage you to do so. Uh, it would be very beneficial for you to have this morning's handout. Uh, this is mine all marked up. Um, and uh, I would also encourage you to grab a copy of uh, Mark's Gospel. Uh, we'll be in, I think, Mark's Gospel the entire time today. So we'll see. Um, so we are in, again, chapter 10 this morning, and uh, starting off with verse 35. Uh, last week, we looked at the section of Jesus foretelling his death a third time, and this week we are transitioning into this request from uh, James and John. Uh, so we'll uh, take a look just for a second at this literary and structural observation question toward the top of the handout. You know, are there any literary structural observations? Uh, and I would tell you, after having a lot of conversations with Brian Smith uh, about his doctoral dissertation, uh, it, Dr. Smith, by the way, that's how we should all address it now. And it makes him super uncomfortable. I love it. Uh, it he has got me thinking about this concept of gospel conversations and uh, the idea that a question, no matter really what the question is, can be transitioned into something where we are talking about the gospel. And uh, if, if you want the, the master of all masters at this, you just look at Jesus himself, right? Uh, he takes questions and then immediately begins to poke at, uh, in a very righteous, holy way, exactly what the sin issue is. Uh, he makes plain what the answer is and then calls people to make a decision, right? There's a, there's a question put on the table, so to speak. So in verse 35, we talk about here this question that James and John come at uh, Jesus with. So verse 35 says, and James and John. Now, if you, if you look at the number counts here, I'm a numbers guy. So the, the word James shows up 15 times in Mark's gospel, and the word John shows up 26 times. And you might think that's because John's more popular than James, and the 
The reality is John's just a more popular name than James. There's more than one John in the Gospel of Mark. So the John that we're talking about here is not John the Baptist. Uh, this is a different John. This is John the Apostle. Uh, John the Baptist actually wasn't an apostle. So verse 35, and James and John, uh, sons of Zebedee. So we're first introduced to them in chapter 1. Uh, we find them in verses 19 and 20, fishing with their father, uh, which actually implies a great deal about their age. They were not out on their own yet. Um, if you look at going on a little further, verse 19, chapter 1, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, uh, mending the nets, immediately called them. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So first time we're introduced to uh, uh, James and John there, we see them again in chapter 3 where Jesus calls the, the remainder of all of his uh, apostles. So in verse 16, he appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name, gave the name Peter. So Simon Peter's first listed. Uh, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, uh, to whom he gave the name Bonerges, that is, sons of thunder. So these guys like to make bold statements. They like to have bold action. Um, and they're listed in the first three, pretty much always. Anytime the disciples, uh, the, the 12 apostles are listed. So they're, uh, if you think about it, inside the apostles group themselves, you've got this, this hierarchy of structure. So Peter, James, and John, kind of the, the top first three. And you see Jesus do special things with them that he didn't do with others. Um, if you look back in uh, Mark chapter 9 with the transfiguration, who did Jesus take? He took Peter, James, and John. Right. So they, these, these three guys got to see more than others got to see. Doesn't mean Jesus loved them more. Uh, it just means this was the path that he had for them. So uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, uh, came to him and said to him. Now, in, in English, this looks like he just, they just said it once. But in Greek, it's a present active participle. So this was a, was a habit of theirs, apparently. This was a, a persistent question that they had uh, on a regular basis. Um, and finally, what we get the glimpse and see here is Jesus' answer and response to them. So they said to him, said to Jesus, teacher, now this should, this should make our brains be reminded of something happened earlier in Mark chapter 10. So if you look back at Mark chapter 10, the rich young ruler, um, <clears throat> in verse 17, the rich young ruler addresses Jesus as good teacher first. And then second, after Jesus challenges him on, did you really mean good? He just says, teacher. Right? So don't miss the fact that James and John didn't call him good teacher. They just said teacher. So there, there might be something there. They might not. Just, this is the words that they used. So teacher, we want. Now I want to stop here about this word want for just a second. Because this, I would argue, is one of the key words in all of the Gospel of Mark. Um, it shows up 24 times in Mark's Gospel. And the 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 way we would translate this is to choose or prefer or wish or desire or be inclined to. Um, the idea is here's what you want. Look, here's, here's what you actually really deep down want. So they say, teacher, we want, uh, and then the next word is hina is, is in order that because there's a purpose to what they want. We want you to do for us, and this do is in subjunctive, so it's whatever, like whatever comes next, right? We want you to do whatever we ask. And uh, this word ask is a really funny word in Mark's gospel. Um, if you, if, let's go back to Mark chapter six. We'll look at where it first shows up. 
in Mark chapter 6. This is in verses 22 through 25. It shows up four times. And, and this is uh, Herodias' daughter. So this is, you remember the crazy family tree of Herod. Um, this is, Herodias was Herod's brother's wife, I think. It was a mess, right? I, I get confused myself. This is why I keep all these resources close by because I have questions myself about them and it's very difficult to uh, remember. So Herodias' daughter came in and danced. She pleased Herod and his guests. And the girl, the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give to you up to half my kingdom. And she went out and asked her mother and said to her mother, for what should I ask? She said, the head of John the Baptist. She came in and immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying. So this first use of this word ask is just this, horrible, horrible situation of this really, really negative connotation of what's going on with asking, right? <clears throat> the second time the word uh, ask is used, second uh, passage that it's used in Mark's gospel is in Mark chapter 10. So we see James and John uh, asking for something that is, that Jesus points out is just really inappropriate ask, you know, to be seated at the right hand of, of Christ himself and the left hand of Christ. I mean, this is just, it's just an inappropriate ask. But the third time we see this word ask show up in Mark's gospel is Mark 11. So flip over to Mark 11, it's verse 24. And this is uh, Jesus uh, talking to the disciples here. And this is the, the passage about the withered fig tree. We'll get to this uh, in a couple of months, Lord willing. In verse 24, he says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. So Jesus actually redeems this word ask in the third kind of passage that it shows up and shows the disciples, this is how you ask. You ask in prayer, right? Um, and then we have another negative use in chapter 15, uh, verse 8. Let's flip over there to 15, 8. So the crowd, this is when uh, Pilate delivers Jesus to be crucified. So the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate, to do as he usually did for them, right? They want the norm for this man. And then in verse 43, the last time this word shows up in Mark's gospel, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, this is after Jesus has been killed, uh, a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. So we see uh, lots of different ways in Mark's gospel where you can ask sinfully. Uh, we see a couple of different ways where you can ask with courage, you can ask in prayer, uh, and how this word can be used. And I, I think, I think this really gets to the heart of one of the things that's going on in this particular passage in Mark chapter ten, verses thirty-five to forty-five. Uh, you know, it's it's about what do you want, which is really kind of I would argue the larger theme of Mark chapter ten. You know, you look at Mark chapter ten and you see um, these these Pharisees come up and what they want. Well, they wanted to trip Jesus up into some, into some issue, some theological issue. And you see, what do the disciples want? And they'll let the children come to me. Well, the children wanted to go to Jesus. And the disciples, right, they wanted to protect access and limit access. And this isn't good. And then you see the passage of the rich young man. And what did he want? Well, he wanted to be rich. Right? That's, that's what he wanted. And then what does Jesus want? It's interesting what we see in 32 through 34. Jesus wants his disciples to understand what's about to happen, right? And then 35 through 45, uh, what did James and John want? And then 46 through uh, 50, what's the last verse? 52, what does uh, blind Bartimaeus want? This whole chapter is just filled with what do people want? 
And Jesus gives us really clear guidance in each situation what the right thing to want is. Right? He wants the truth with the Pharisees. He wants the little children to have access. He wants the rich young ruler to follow him. He wants the disciples to understand. He wants James and John to get that it's about service, not about rank. He wants blind Bartimaeus to go his way, right? And to be made well. I mean, these are these beautiful, beautiful things that Jesus, through his actions and his words, kind of comes in opposition to all of these wants and uh, explains for us exactly what we should be doing. So uh, a lot about wants and askings here, but I think it's a, a big theme in chapter 10. So uh, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Uh, verse 36, and he said, Jesus says to them, uh, what do you want? Right? Again, this word, what do you want? Which is a really crazy way to start a sentence if you're the all-powerful power, all creator of the world. <laughs> like, what do you want? Almost sounds like genie in a bottle kind of language here. Uh, so what do you want me to do? And if you, if you think about the larger context of what Jesus has done by stepping into the world, into flesh, right? If you think about what Jesus is doing, flawlessly executing all of the prophecies, if you think about what he's going to do, die, be raised again. And, and he asked them, what do you want me to do? I mean, above what he is already doing, how arrogant of a question, right? So what do you want me to do? And then for you, so incredibly individual, so incredibly individual. You know, Jesus, he takes time to engage with the individual, with these individual groups inside the larger apostles, with individuals that come up to him on the way, with individuals that, that are shouting at him off the way. Uh, but he takes time to engage with these individuals. It's really a, it's a beautiful min a model of ministry. Verse 37, and they, James and John, said to him, grant. Now, in my notes, I'm going to show you what I did to this word grant. Um, this word grant is super, really important. So I have highlighted it and then put it in like a whole different, another highlight, and I put a box around it because they tell him what some, to do something because this is an imperative, right? So they're like, grant, give us. Uh, and then later on in verse 40, he talks about Jesus, finishes up his whole thing with that same word, with grant. It's not mine to grant. So they ask him for something that he can't do, which is a really interesting question. Like, what are the questions you could ask Jesus that he doesn't have the authority to actually grant? Um, it's, it's, a, it's a very small subset of, uh, of all known questions, right? So they, they, asked, they said to him, grant or give us. Um, and there's a word that's not translated in the ESV here, that, uh, that we might or that, that we uh, could sit at your uh, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. So we'll, we'll come back and kind of break these down for just a second. So the, the, we'll talk about uh, Jewish 
hands, because <clears throat> hands are, it's important to understand this. So the right hand in Jewish culture was what you uh, ate with. It's what you greeted someone with. Uh, it was considered to be the clean hand. The left hand was what you did other bodily maintenance functions with. This was considered to be the unclean hand. Uh, so when, when we talk here about uh, one at your right hand and one at your left, there would have been a distinct difference in the honor level between the right and the left. The right would have been significantly a more honorable spot to sit than the left. Now, being close to Jesus and seated with him in some position of authority in his glory, uh, you know, this is actually a statement about who they believe Jesus was. So this is why I don't put too much emphasis on the fact that they didn't call him good teacher, because they're actually declaring him here to be, I would argue, if, if not God, at least someone who is going to be very present and public uh, in the glory with God. Right, There's going to be some glory place in the future where Jesus is going to be, whether that's on the earth because of his uh, political and military might or in, uh, in heaven with God uh, the Father. So let's keep going. <sighs> Sean, you're killing me. Oh, my gosh. See, I never know if Sean's there. I just always assume uh, McGarvey is with uh, Trish. Uh, but, yeah, I just got a text from Sean, and I'm not reading that at all. So uh, grant us to sit uh, one at your right hand. This word right hand shows up other places in Mark's gospel. Um, so we've got, yeah, we're good on time. So 1462, we'll go there first. 1462, uh, when uh, the high priest in 61 asked you, this is during this fake trial, right? Uh, when the high priest asked Jesus, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And verse 63, and the high priest lost his ever-loving mind, right? He tore his garments and says, what, do we, what else do we need? You've heard this blasphemy. What's your decision? They all condemned him as deserving death, right? This was just, I mean, you, you, you could not have answered to irritate the high priest in any other way. But Jesus is saying, I'm in the seat that's to the right of power. And this is a big deal because here, Jesus directly answers the question that James and John ask. You know, will you, will you let us sit on the right and your left? Uh, no, <laughs> that's already been claimed. Uh, we see right and left a couple more times in, in Mark's gospel, 15, 27. <clears throat> uh, and they crucified uh, two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. You want to be on Jesus' right and left there, James and John? Mark 16, 5, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. Right, we'll, we'll get to study who this person was, right, but he's on the right side. Interesting little nugget. Why would Mark call that out? Is that significant in some way? Yes, of course it is. Uh, and then verse 19 in Mark chapter 16, so then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Like ultimate mic drop right here. And uh, 
what do you do when you're finished with your work? You sit down. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the right hand is a significant thing in Jewish culture. It's a significant thing in Mark's gospel. And uh, I, I kind of wonder if they were expecting Jesus to go, yeah, 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 James, you're at the right, John, you're at the left, or John, you're on the right, James, you're at the left. Jesus didn't do any of that, right? Um, you, you don't have to answer questions that aren't asked that you think somebody's really asking. Um, it's, it's an interesting thing that Jesus does on a regular basis. Uh, but if you think about, you know, James and John and where they thought they were in the hierarchy of the apostles, if they were going to sit at his right and his left, who are the most two important apostles? Well, James and John. So what does that tell you what they thought about everybody else? That they were the two most important apostles. Well, what about the fact that Peter's listed first? James and John are the two most important apostles, right? You, you see this kind of, this mindset of, Who's the best? Who's the first? Who's the most important? Who's the most significant? Who gets to be closest to G? And, and all of this stuff is just garbage. It's absolute garbage because it distracts us from the only one who has any position that's worthy of debating at all. And that's God himself. God himself is first and everything else is after that. And whether we want to argue about whether we're second or third or 47 millionth, who cares? You've got to get God in the right position and acknowledge the reality of the universe, right? So one at your right hand and one at your left uh, in your glory. So again, I, I, I don't want to miss the fact that I believe this is something that is that John, uh, James and John are recognizing who Jesus is and there's going to be some glorific, uh, glorification type reign uh, afterward. All right, so verse 38, we'll pick up the pace here just a little bit. Uh, maybe not. Jesus said to them, you do not know uh, what you're asking. And this no is the perfect tense. So this is completed action with the results continuing. Uh, and the indicative is a statement of fact. So he's telling them, you don't know what you're doing. Like you, you don't know what you're asking here. This is, this is too big. And he asked them this really interesting question. Are you able? And the word is dunamai. Uh, this is are you, are, is it possible? Are you strong enough? Do you have the ability or the capacity to do this? Uh, flip over to Mark 14, uh, 23. Mark 14, 23. If you think Mark chapter 10 is long, Mark chapter 14 has 72 verses. It is unbelievable. So 14, um, 22. This is the institution of the Lord's Supper. 23, he took a cup. And when he had, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself here. Are you able to drink? There we go. It's like, this is not the right spot. Uh, are you able to drink uh, the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Caleb usually gives me feedback on how well I handle the oral reading part of the, or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. Because it is a lot of baptism in a row. Uh, the trickier part is uh, blind Bartimaeus, uh, but that's okay. So are you able to drink the cup? Uh, to drink, this word shows up a couple more times in Mark's gospel, uh, most notably in uh, 22 through 25 of chapter 14, where the institution of the Lord's Supper, right? So we drink, we see a cup being drinking here, uh, being drinking, being drunk here. Uh, and actually in, in the Passover, in the Jewish Passover, there had been four cups of wine that were drunk. Uh, and when we get to that part, we'll talk a lot more about uh, which one this was, what that was signifying, 
what Jesus is communicating by the one that he picked when he said these were. I mean, it's just all kinds of incredible depth to this. But he's asking them, are you able to drink the cup? Uh, and this word cup can be, and if you look at your definitions, so it could be a, a drinking vessel, right? It can be the contents of the cup. So it could be whatever's in the cup. Or figuratively, it could be a lot or fate. Uh, and I don't mean a lot by a large volume. I mean a uh, the you know what, what providence holds for you, those types of things. Uh, C says 10 out of 10. Excellent. Wonderful. I'm glad. <laughs> um, oh, hey, Miss Hopper. Uh, here from Hope Ridge. I didn't see that. Well, good morning. Welcome. Uh, so to drink the cup that I drink. Now I want to I want to be really clear about something for just a second. Jesus uses a very specific uh, lots of stuff going on in this verb that I drink. So the first drink is a verb. The second drink is a verb. But the second drink is what Jesus is doing about this verb. So the second drink there is a singular, present, active, indicative. So the singular means it's just one person drinking. Present means right now. Active means the subject is doing the work. And indicative is a statement of fact. So it's a one person right now acting in a factual way about what's happening. <clears throat> and Jesus says that right now he is drinking the cup. Which is not what I have been taught in the past. What I have been taught in the past is that Jesus drank the cup on Calvary. Was that Jesus talked about the cup in the garden when he prayed, right? That this cup passed from me, that this thing that you have allotted for me in my life passed from me. We'll talk a lot more about that when we get there, Lord willing. But uh, I think Jesus believed, based on this verb tensing here that um, that he was drinking the cup right then. So either Jesus didn't know what he was doing. We have a very bad uh, Greek manuscript or Jesus was drinking the cup here. So it may have been a very long process of drinking and completing the will of the father. Because remember, it wasn't Jesus didn't just only complete the will of the father through his death, burial, and resurrection, he was completing the will of the Father every moment. Always, which is a beautiful example for us. So, uh, are you able to drink the cup uh, that I drink or be baptized or immerse or submerge? Um, and this can be a, a figurative thing as well with the baptism uh, which I am baptized. And again, this baptized is a singular present passive indicative. So this means the subject is being acted upon. So the drinking was Jesus' active participation in the Father's will. The baptism was the Father overwhelming, submerging the Son in the Father's will. There's a lot going on with these words, guys, I'm telling you. Verse 39, and they said to him, it's is actually a one-word answer in Greek, dunamai, uh, able, uh, possible. Or you can think about it as like, we can do it, <laughs> right? Um, no waterboard jokes here. And Jesus says to them, uh, the cup or this fate or this thing that the Father has asked me to do, uh, that I drink, 
again, singular, present, active, indicative, uh, that I drink, you will drink. Remember last week we talked about these future indicatives, these future statements of fact that Jesus knew to be true. And this is what he says to them. He says, you'll drink. You'll drink this cup. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, singular, present, passive, indicative, again, something's being done to him. He is submitting to the Father's will. You will be baptized. And this is the beautiful thing here. This is the future passive indicative. So this is something that's going to happen to you in the future that's going to happen to you. Not that you're going to actively do, but it's going to happen to you. So he was telling them that you will drink and you will be baptized. This is actually really good news about their future security as part of children of God. They had no, I don't think they had any real idea what this, all the details of this meant. I'm not sure we have any idea what all the details of this really mean. Uh, but, and then he continues in verse 40, but to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant. It's not mine to grant. So this is uh, right, right now is, this is a present active indicative. So right now, this is a statement of fact, it's not mine to grant, to give. And this grant is what they told him, right? Grant us. It's imperative. Do this. And he said, that's not mine to give. It is for those for whom, and if you think this is a really awkward, awkward Greek phrase, uh, but the English is, it is for those for whom. The Greek, it is just one word, hos, uh, this idea of those, and it's a plural those, which is interesting. So we'll talk a little bit more about this next week, maybe. It is for those it has been prepared. It is for those for whom it has been prepared. And this word prepared is a perfect tense. So this is completed action with the results continuing, passive, something being done to somebody, and indicative. So this, this preparation has been going on, and the preparation is continuing. The results of this are continuing. This preparation is being done to whoever sits on the right. It's also a statement of fact. But if you think back to how Mark started his gospel with the quote from Isaiah, prepare the way of the Lord. So he's planting this seed of preparation because in the Garden of Eden was not when God started preparing what he was going to do in response to man's sin, right? This happened well before that, before there were even seconds and minutes and days and hours and months and weeks. This preparation continues in chapter 14. This will be the last one that we go to. Uh, Mark 14, uh, 12, 14, and 15. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said, where will you go and have, have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where's my guest room that I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready there prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he told them, and they prepared the Passover. It is not accidental that one of the animal metaphors used to describe Jesus is a lamb. It is not accidental that the Passover lamb is what is prepared as the sacrifice for the people. It is not accidental that the Passover lamb has to be prepared a very specific way. And it is not accidental that Jesus uses this word 
right here in Mark chapter 10, verse 40, for whom it has been prepared. He's talking about himself because Jesus is the prepared Passover lamb. And that, my friends, is how you have a gospel conversation. <laughs> Can I sit at your right hand and your left hand? Do you know what you're asking? Yes, we do. I don't think you do. But let me tell you about the prepared person that's going to sit there. And he tells him about himself. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. All right. I know I'm running a little long this morning. Uh, I wanted to get through verse 40. Uh, I wanted to land there. Uh, thank you, Lord, that we could. And thank you, God, for this beautiful Passover lamb who was prepared for us, not just the apostles, but for us, for you and for me. And this is a beautiful story, a beautiful, beautiful story. All right. So we'll uh, we'll stop here. Lord willing, we'll start next week with verse 41 and uh, come back thinking about that preparation, thinking about that Passover lamb. And uh, we'll see how the other 10 responded to James and John's question here and Jesus' response to that, and what else Jesus talks to his disciples about in this text. So uh, we'll stop here. We'll have a time of prayer. So if you have any prayer requests, please write in the comments uh, any of your prayer requests. Uh, engage and pray with somebody that's not with you. We'd love to have you do that. And then uh, if you're able later today to go to a, a campus and worship, or if uh, Facebook or YouTube or the Stuart Heights website uh, are more your speed right now, then uh, we would encourage you to uh, engage with us and to go and to worship uh, this prepared Passover lamb who was uh, tortured for us, who was killed for us, but after three days rose again. So uh, with that, grace and peace to you. I look forward to seeing you guys next week. Uh, praying for you. I love you. I miss you. And I hope to see you soon. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.